you open your Bibles to the book of Luke chapter 13, we finally moved the chapter over. Uh, last week we finished up chapter 12 with a strong call for Jesus to settle your debts before you meet the judge. Jesus is in the middle of the sermon and he's where he has been pleading with this crowd time and time again to see the reality of who he really is. He had shown them through signs, miracles. He had told them outright, but they continued to reject him. Even though they were Jews, God's covenant people, they were at the point, at this point, they were so far from God that when he stood in front of them, they looked at him and said that you were the prince of the Beelzebub. Jesus is in the middle of the sermon. He is being interrupted yet again. The third time in this one sermon, that uh, he's being interrupted. And that shows you how hostile this crowd has gotten. How frustrated and angry this crowd has gotten. The, the, the Pharisees have been stirring them up. And Jesus' continuous call to these people was repent and believe. Where is he? Two things. Two things. I'm used to saying three. Two things in this in these nine verses. First thing we're going to see is a presumption of the people. The people of that day, much like the people of our day, assume that only bad things happen to bad people. They assume that when bad things take place to good people, it's just because of God made a mistake. And so they bring this question to Jesus. And he says, no, unless you repent, you will suffer as well. Twice. Then Jesus emphasized, re-emphasizes this one point by jumping into a parable of patience. Verse 6 through 9, Jesus tells a short parable to amplify the same point. In the parable, we will see that the Lord is patient with his children as the vine dresser is patient with his trees. But there comes a time when the patience runs out and God's wrath will abide once again, lest we repent and believe. I've entitled this message, quite simply, from the text, Lest You Repent. Stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word. It will be up on the screen. Luke chapter 13. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all of the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam <coughs> fell and killed them, do you think they were worse, than, worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told them a parable. A man had a fig tree planted in the vineyard. And he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look for these three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree. And I find none. Cut it down. Why should I use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and put on manure. Then, if it should bear fruit next year, 
Well, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. This is the word of God that has been given for salvation. It's strong enough and powerful enough to do just that and receive it as such. Let's go, Lord, and pray. Father, you are good and you are worthy to be praised. Father, we pray that as we come to you this morning, that we would see the need for you, the need to seek you, the need for repentance. I pray that your spirit would fall upon this place and open the eyes of the hearts that need you. It's in your precious son's name I pray. Amen. Be seated. This morning's been a rough morning. So I woke up and I opened up my laptop and my sermon was deleted. And I spent the first hour and a half of my day, starting at 6 o'clock, 6.30 in the morning, uh, uh, trying to figure out how to, to fix it. Well, I finally got it. I got to church late and I realized I didn't have my key. So I ran home, found my key, came back. It was, it was right before 9 o'clock. We walked in the door and we had to start practicing. Well, then as I'm getting up, here to, to get everything ready, the my headset broke broke off. So it's just been type thing after thing after thing. But all through it all, the Lord is good and nothing will stop his word. Amen. Amen. When you when you if we open this text, we're going I want to connect this through our kids. When when you give kids grace, they begin to think that they deserve it. Titus last Christmas got two mighty tw- twins. They were two uh, motorcycles that connected together, and Ella and Tuck, thank you, Tuck they were in, and they could be broken apart, and Judah was really jealous, because he wanted these. Well, Titus, being nice, broke, broke them apart and gave one to let Judah use one. Well, after a while, Judah started saying, well, that one's mine, Ella's mine. You see, so far too often in the hearts of kids, they think that grace turns from thankfulness into entitlement. He begins to think, that's his, that's mine, I deserve it, no one can take it from me. You see, that's what's happening in our text between God and the Jewish people this morning. The Jewish people had, had, had gotten in their head, we're, the, we're God's covenant people. God is, blesses us. And when bad things happen, it's because of sin. They go back to the, the Job thinking that it's all because of sin and bad things happen. Now, God does punish people for sin. There's, there's no question about that. But it's not, it's not the, the, all the time that that happens. So let's open our text. First thing we're going to see is the presumption of the people. The presumption of the people. First thing we're going to see is inability. Look at verse 13. There were some present at that very time. Notice this is the same conversation. This is the same, this is the same sermon after, the, after Jesus telling them to make, the, make it right, make their debts right with, with those they owe before they get to the judge. Speaking ultimately of the judgment day. Because once you get to the judge, there is no more hope. There is no more turning. There is no more hope of repentance. Because once you get to the judge, you have to pay the, the fine. And he said even in the text, you don't get out until every last bit is paid. He says this, he goes on, he says, at the very present time, that very time, who, who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Now, in that day, this had just happened. This was like front page news. And they, he, they were bringing the information to him. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, 
knowing exactly what was in front of them, he, he looked at them and he, he says, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than anyone else in Galilee? Now, Galilee, those days were thought of as a lowly people. And what, what's happening in this, it says it very brutally, the Galileans whose blood Pilate mingled with their sacrifices. Most likely, this was at the Passover. Now, the Passover, a lot of kids here, I'm going to try and make it as G-rated as possible, but the Passover, there were more than a quarter of a million animals that were sacrificed in one building, in the temple. It was a very bloody day. It was a very bloody week that they were brought in and killed. Blood everywhere. And what it says here, what it's talking about, is these Galileans, these Jewish people who had come to worship their God on the most holy day of the year, come to make atonement for their sins. Pilate, who last we introduced, last time we had seen, had arrested John the Baptist, says, mingled their blood with the sacrifice. They ambushed him in the temple on the most holy day of the year. Killed them. And their, their blood flowed with the blood of these goats and rams. The implicit question in this that Jesus is seeing or maybe even knowing their thoughts, how did God let them be killed like that? How could God let them be killed in the midst of, of worship? These are God's chosen people. These are the, the Jewish people. These covenant people who are going to worship and doing what's right. We're not told that they were offering blind sacrifices in Malachi. We're told that they're going to worship God by sacrificing. How could a God, that, that in modern day, the question is, how could a God who is all-knowing and all-good allow such a thing, such a tragedy to happen? Why does... Bad things happen to good people. And Jesus looks at them amidst this question that is, they understand that they, that they are they're trying to pose to him without posing to him. He says this, and Jesus answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? Like He's saying, do you really think that it's because of how they suffered, how they died, that that, that showed their sinfulness, their wickedness? You missed all the Old Testament, he's telling them. You, you missed the whole thing. It's not because of, of sin. It's not because of the, of the, of the sin that they've committed, that they've, that they've had this happen. The better question is why do good things happen to any of us? Because the reality is that no one is good. Ephesians chapter 2. All of us were dead in our trespasses and sins. Genesis chapter 2. Right? We can go all throughout the scriptures that we are all dead in our sins. We are all far from God. None of us were worthy of God. And if none of us are worthy of God, then all of us are deserving of sin. So why does good things happen to anyone is the better question. We're sinful. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. None of us are worthy. Not me, not you, not any of us. What they, they didn't, what they didn't add into the calculation was God's holiness and man's sinfulness. I want you to imagine this a professor. And I've actually heard this story. This was something that actually happened at a seminary. 
and the, these new freshmen come into class and they have their first assignment due. And they go up to the professor and say, Professor, I, I didn't make the transition from high school to, to college well and I, I just didn't, I had three other things due, I just didn't get my papers done. Okay, well, I'll give you some grace. This is seminary. I'll give you some grace. We will, uh, we'll, we'll push it off in two weeks. So, oh, great. Thank you, Professor. They were singing his praise. They were thankful beyond measure. And everything was good. That's September 30th. Everything was good until October 30th. Next paper was due. Came in, oh, Professor, I'm sorry. I, I, I didn't have time to do it. I didn't get it done. I I, I have all this other midterms and all these things were piling on my back and I had all the excuses in the book. Pastor looked at him, gave him some more grace. Okay, I'll give you a few days to, to turn in. Well, then everything was good until November 30th. November 30th came, the final paper of the term was due. They, they waltzed into class. About 50 of the 150 had their papers. All of a sudden, the professor looks around and starts calling them out. Lindsay, where's your paper? Why haven't you done it? Judah, where's your paper? Why haven't you turned it in? They were, well, it's no big deal, Prof. I got, I'll get it to you in a couple days. <laughs> Professor looks at him. Says, really? Zero. He goes, oh, come on. You all know what's coming next. That's not fair. It's the, it's the theme song in my house. That's not fair. Fair. They're glaring at me right now. <laughs> but that's not fair. And he said, oh, really? You want what's fair. So he flips his grade book over, goes back to October 30th, puts a zero. Flips it back over to September 30th, puts a zero. See, what happened in that is that the, the grace of this professor, it was due at a certain time. The grace of this professor turned the, kid, the, the kids, the, the college students, from thankfulness into entitlement. It's no longer fair, even though it's due. It's no longer fair because they, they, they've always given me grace before. Why wouldn't you give me grace now? They didn't understand. We must never forget that, that you are saved by grace. It's not because of you earned it. It's not because it's because of God's faithfulness. Period. Jesus, or we can go straight to the scriptures, what Jesus said. No, I tell you. He says, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Give me one second. It's dark up here. It was getting dark up here. Sorry about that. Unless you repent, it, it will, uh, you too will perish. Jesus was telling them that it was not any particular sin that led to the pain. It is the entire reality of sin that leads us to pain. R.C. Sproul said that if, if God is holy and we are sinful, then there's going to be pain until we are redeemed. Now, redemption happens at one point in time, but it also is a long-standing, long-ongoing process. Redemption happens at the point in time when we bend the knee and we repent and believe. But it continues. We continue to be to be to reconcile to him. We continue to turn from sin. We continue to get, grow closer to God until the day Christ comes back. So as long as sin is in the world, there's going to be pain. The, 
better question than why does bad, good, bad things happen to good people and why do good things happen to anyone? Because none of us deserve it. Here, the, the, the warning in Jesus' voice, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. This is the main point of this entire, of this entire conversation that these people rudely interrupted. If you remain in your sins, you will too die. But it won't be just a physical death. It'll be far worse. It'll be far worse because on the day of judgment, when Christ comes back, the, it, coronavirus won't mean a thing. It'll be hell that we need to worry about. Because we will be thrown into hell lest we repent and believe. If we, go, if we remain in our sins, if we are not reconciled to Christ, if we do not settle with the judge of the universe, and beloved, we will go to hell. Jesus came for the sick. And beloved, that's all of us. The second thing we're going to see, so the first thing we see that they were presuming was inability. That God just wasn't able to help these people. He, was, he, he had a, a day where he was took off and Pilate took advantage. Well, the second thing is indifference. Jesus continuing, knowing their thoughts, brings up another Incident. He says, or those 18 whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them. Now we have to understand a little bit of what's going on there. They, they, we have historical evidence of what exactly happened. They were in Jerusalem. We're no longer in Galilee. Remember, Galilee is looked at as the lowly, the outskirts, the uninhabited, the, the, the worthless. So they, they may be thinking, well, you, yeah, Jesus, none of the Galileans are good. They're all terrible. They're all scum. And so he brings up another one. He says, well, now, the entire Tower of Siloam, they, they were building this massive tower, and there were 18 people who were walking along the road during construction, and the tower fell and killed them all. Killed 18 people. So he says, and about these? They were thinking, well, maybe these 18, maybe, maybe they had done something wrong too. Maybe God just didn't care about these 18. Maybe go on and on and on. The same problem they think that they are worthy and those 18 were not worthy of God's protection and God's worth, God's honor. The problem that they're having is they don't understand the, the severity of sin. Most of us don't. None of us do, if we're honest. We don't understand the severity of sin. Let me, let me put an analogy out that may help us grasp it a little bit. You've heard this before if you've been been here any length of time because I use it a lot. I want you to imagine that I walked up to a child, say two years old, that's slapping in the face. I wouldn't do that. Just, let's imagine though. Let's imagine I just did that. Let's, parents are around, no one else is around, it's just me and the kid. What's the consequence? Nothing. Kid cries a little bit. I walk, turn around and walk away. No consequence. Well, now let's take it up a notch. Let's say I went and I slapped Gavin in the face. What would happen? Robbie's not around. It's just Gavin. It's me and Gavin. I just slapped in the face. Well, he's going to get mad at me. He may punch me and run. He may kick me and go and run away. It's, there's a little bit more consequence. Now let's for a second imagine I went and slapped a police officer in the face. What's going to happen? We get shoved up against the wall handcuffed and thrown in jail. Take it up a notch again. What happens if I try and go slap President Trump in the face? 
a shot through the heart before I get within 100 feet. Right? Same crime, different person, different consequence. What's the difference? Level of honor and respect due to the person. Now, whatever your thoughts are on President Trump, that's not has nothing to do with this. Don't care. It's he's the president of the United States. There's a level of honor and respect that's due. So he has that, so I was killed. Gavin has more than the baby. He kicked me, right? Police officer has more than Gavin, threw me in jail. There's different levels of of of, of offense, even though it's the same crime. Now what happens if you slap God? Well, let me ask it a better way. How much more honor and respect does God have than President Trump? I die for President Trump if I try and go slap President Trump. That's why if I try and slap God, I am deserving of an eternity, eternity of hell. They didn't understand this. They didn't think that it was that big of a deal. They thought, well, sin is just a small thing that happens every while. We kill an animal and we're good for a little bit. Jesus asked the question, do you think that they were worse offenders than all those who lived in Jerusalem? So now we're taking out of the, the know-nothing town of Galilee into the heart of, of Israel, into Jerusalem. All of them are sinful too. It's not just those out there, those weirdos. It's, it's all of us. The same answer is given. Why do you think that any of them are worse than you? This isn't going to be on Caleb's encouraging verse of the, of the month, right? This is, this is harsh. The problem is that these religious people don't understand who God is. When I used to, to, to go talk with Howard Batts, we would talk often when he lost his wife. And his question, as we were getting to the Gospels, he said, what sin did I commit that God wouldn't answer my prayer to save my wife? It's a hard question. What sin did I commit that God took her from me? If we're honest, it's a question that we, we, if we present the gospel, or maybe even we have that, that same question in different little forms. That question has the presumption, though, that God owes us something. That we deserve more than we got. All we deserve, all we bring to the table is the, the need for salvation and wrath that we, we deserve. Everything else is grace. Every breath we breathe, every, every dime we earn is a gift from God. Far too many people that are filled with churches in America think of God as more of a genie than the Lord and sovereign of the universe. If God is holy and we are sinful, then there must be pain until all is released. And so pain and sin is a reality. So he says, no, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will likewise perish. And once again, he's not talking about this, this perishing of, of physical death. He's not saying you're, a wall is going to fall on you. He's saying that you will perish because you will one day be judged. He repeated his plan. No one's worthy. God uses us not because of us, but because of him. He uses us for his glory. He uses us to, to call people to home, to call people from out of sin into life. If you've been sitting in church for 50 years and you've not been converted, you've not repented, you, you must repent. 
or you will be counted with the lost. Just as he said last week. But Jesus decides to amplify it, take it a step further. He gives us a parable, a parable of patience. Verse 6, he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. See, now, the first thing we have to deal with is there's a fig tree growing in a vineyard. That's kind of weird in our thoughts. And we usually think of vineyards as vines, right? We think of grapes. But back then, a vineyard would grow all types of fruit. And so there's, there's the first answer for that question. All types of fruit were grown in a vineyard. This particular, this particular tree was not growing and bearing fruit. They, they had all a bunch of fruit trees growing in this one vineyard lined up, and it wasn't growing. Verse 7, and he said to the vine dresser, look, for these three years now, I have come seeking fruit on this tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And that's a big question. And that, that has some implications. Why should it use up the ground? Why should it take the nutrients from the soil? Why should it take the things that is, is give, being given to all the other trees? You see, it's not just a waste of space. It's harmful. Do you see that? It's harmful to have a dead tree amongst the vineyard. Because it's stealing from the nutrients of the other plants. The other plants can't grow to their potential because it doesn't have as much nutrients. The other plant, there can't be as much growth because this one tree, probably many, are dead. The vine dresser in this story wants the most trees to bear the most fruit as possible. He's speaking about the crowd of people that are in front of him. You see that? He's speaking to them and he's speaking about them. There are people within the crowd that love Jesus. We have the disciples. We have at least the 72 that were sent out not a couple chapters ago. Right? We, there are people within this massive crowd that love Jesus and want to hear his word and don't think he's the son of the devil, but think that he is the, the, the exactly who he says he is, the Messiah, the chosen of God. And there's many don't. And he's saying that He's saying that those that are continuously coming just to attack are being harmful. They're seek, they're taking away the nutrients from the rest of the crowd. And and they're preventing others from here. Where is let me ask you a question, where is the most cultivated, the best place to learn about God in all of history. Standing at Peter God was teaching. And he's telling these people, he's telling them, in a plea for them to repent, he's telling them, repent, or you will have hell to pay. Verse 8 continues, he says, and he answered, sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and put on manure. Let me cultivate the tree. Let me cultivate and put time and effort into it. The easy thing is to get rid of it, to pull it up by the roots and, and throw it to the, to, the, to the fire. But the vine dresser cares about his tree. Do you see that? He cares about his, his plants. 
He will do what he, he can to make it produce. But you see, the tree that don't produce fruit are the crowds of people that have not submitted. They've seen the miracles. They've heard the gospel. They, they, they understand who Christ is, and they just don't care. Jesus is patient. The gospel is preached time and time again, and there are people that will not hear it and turn. And it's harmful at times. It's harmful to, to fill a church with people making decisions together. I'm not saying this church in particular. I'm just saying in general. That's what the text is talking about. It's, it's harmful for a church to have a bunch of people in the membership roles that aren't saved. Making decisions for the church that aren't focused on Christ. That's harmful. It's harmful for people to hear the, the cultivated word of God preached. That's what's happening right now. When there's not enough room for those who won't. Conversion, there's a point that God, patient, runs out. I want you to see that. God is patient. He's patient. He's so long-suffering with us. He's patient with me time and time again. He is, he's long-suffering over and over and over again, but there comes a time when his patience runs out. We don't, we're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised that we're gonna, not going to wake up tomorrow, get in the car, get in the car, get out. We're just not promised that. We have to get right with God today. We have to start bearing fruit today. We have to be those that show the fruit of repentance today. Because that's the evidence that we're saved. It's not that which saved us, but the evidence. There's a, the point in which we turn from sin. You see, conversion has to have one specific point. Where we turn from sin and it's the proof that we have a life with Christ. In John chapter 3, which we actually went over today in Sunday school, it says, unless one is born again, they cannot see the kingdom of God. We can come to church every single Sunday. We can come to church Sunday, Wednesdays, and even Thursdays if we have a Bible study. We can come to church every single day of the week, and it will not save you until you've been converted, until you've turned from your sins, repented, and trusted in God. And until that happens, none of it matters. I say that almost every single funeral I ever preach, that, we, that I can't save you, church can't save you, none, none of us can save you. Only Christ can save you. And it's the evidence and the proof that you've been saved by Christ is that you repent and you believe in Christ. Repent today and believe is the plea from Jesus to the crowd. And it's my plea to you this morning to those that don't know him. Please repent and trust in Christ. For there is coming a day that his mercies will end and his, his just judgment will fall. It all, it all culminates in verse 9. Verse 9 is basically the same as verse 3 and verse 5. <laughs> then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, cut it down. Verse 3 and 5 said, No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will likewise perish. The tree that doesn't bear fruit has not repented. And the tree that does not bear fruit will perish. Repentance and fruit bearing are two sides of the same coin. It is impossible to be a Christian 
that does not bear fruit. The proof that one is saved is that they, they repent of their sin, which means they have a new life, which means they turn from the things that God hates to the thing that God loves, is another way of saying it. First John says that if we, are, we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Is it, com is it completely false thinking that someone can be converted and not make it? It's wrong. It's, it's nowhere found in scripture. There's not a verse you can point to in the Bible that says you can be converted and yet live as, as the same way you always live. But praise God, he gives us the, the means and the way in which we are to turn to him. I'm going to finish with this. The glorious news is that we can repent. We can turn to God. And he will cover us with his mercy and his grace. Verse 9 in 1 John says this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful. Faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And to cleanse us. Not from some of it. Not from our past and not our future. But for all our unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. But if we come to him, he will cleanse us. Clean. With the blood of the sacrifice of Christ. No matter your past, no matter your future. He will cleanse us. He will change that which is within us. He will take out a heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. And he will turn us to Christ. And we will be his. We will be his glorious, the chosen children of God. That he has, he has sacrificed his own son for. Jesus is, is pleading with these people today. Jesus is, is sick of preaching and having all these this massive crowd of people around him. He's not in it for popularity. He's, there's a, this massive crowd that's following him. And he keeps defending them. Do you see that? Sometimes, all the time, the gospel is offensive. But if we accept it, and we turn. It's the gift of God for salvation. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, you are good. You're worthy to be praised. Father, I pray that as we finish, as we come to you, that you would call us to yourself, that you would call us home, that you would call us to a greater sufficiency in you that you would call us to love you more, Father. You would take us just as we are and that you would shape us into the image of your Son. Father, you are good and you're worthy. It's in your precious Son's name I pray. Amen.